Welcome to the Tech Ed Podcast, where we visit with leaders who are shaping, innovating, and disrupting technical education. People who are not afraid to think differently, not afraid to try something new, all with the goal of securing the American dream for the next generation of STEM and workforce talent. Welcome back to the Tech Ed Podcast. I am your host, Matt Kirkner. It's wonderful to have you with us. You know, over the course of the last five years, I've had the opportunity to chair a committee that was leading a fairly substantial construction project in Southeast Wisconsin. It was a nonprofit organization. It was about an eight eight and a half million dollar budget. So for me, that was a, a pretty big project. And I will tell you, I learned so much chairing that committee. And one of the things that I learned was the absolute imperative of partnering with the right architect of the importance of design and architecture in a construction project. That is why I'm so excited about our conversation today, which we're going to get into in just a minute. But before we do that, I want to share with you, and as many of you know in our audience, that I have the pleasure and the opportunity to serve on a number of different boards of directors, foundation boards, nonprofit boards, corporate boards. And when I started doing some of my board work, I talked to one of my very best friends, a friend of mine who has served as a lead director of a Fortune 100 company for decades, a friend of mine who led a Fortune 500 company, was even the chairman of a Federal Reserve Bank, somebody with tremendous board experience. And I said, when you join a board of directors, as I'm considering doing, what do you think about? What's important? He said, it's easy. He said, it's three things. He said, number one, make sure that the people you're working with are people of integrity. Never compromise that. Make sure that these are ethical people. He said, number two, make sure that you can add value. It should be about more than just making money or the prestige of being on a board of directors. It should be about you adding value to whatever that organization is. So make sure that your competencies and skills and background and experience are useful for the organization on whose board you're serving. And third, and this is the topic of today's discussion, make sure you can learn something yourself serving on the board. If you can't better yourself in some way serving on that board, it's probably not the right fit for you. So it was that I found myself in a strategic planning meeting about a month or so ago on one of the boards of directors on which I serve. And we were planning our strategy for the next several years. And the individuals that run that company assembled a phenomenal group of panelists that were experts in the world of architecture, experts in the world of construction, world-renowned subject matter experts in their field. And when one of those individuals got up to the microphone and began speaking, sharing with us their insights on architecture, on construction, on design, I knew within the first minute that this was an individual that we had to have introduced to our audience here at the Tech Ed Podcast. That is why it is such a pleasure to me to invite onto and into the studio of the Tech Ed Podcast, somebody who we're going to have a great conversation with today. His name is Peter Exley. Peter is the first past president of the American Institute of Architects and is the co-founder of Get This, Architecture is Fun. We're going to learn about that as well. Peter, welcome to the Tech Ed Podcast. Matt, what a great introduction, and I love that you start by uh, advertising for architects. I couldn't have done it better myself, so thank you for that. It's great to be here. I want to start, Peter, with your experience uh, as the 2021 president of the American Institute of Architects. Now, I mentioned in our introduction that I had served on this construction committee, actually chaired it for a number of years, been involved in a few other 
construction projects. I hope you're not offended when I say this. When I thought of the AIA before, I thought of those long contracts, those long forms that are produced by the AIA that you fill out when you're entering into a large construction relationship with a general contractor or with an architect. What I've come to learn is that that organization is about so much more than that. Tell us a little bit about the AIA. The American Institute of Architects is uh, an organization of 95,000 members. We're based in Washington, D.C., but there are components in every state and in most large cities and uh, in Wisconsin and Illinois, every part of the Midwest, there is a very, very robust component to the American Institute of Architects. So we uh, really are an organization by architects for architects, and we're helping architects do their best work. We have an amazing strategic plan, which uh, actually began at the start of my tenure at the beginning of 2021. And the fundamental core uh, and ideals of, of that uh, strategic plan are uh, catalyzing equity and emphasizing climate action. You know, we live in uh, a period of great intensity of uh, uh, climate crisis, of uh, extraordinary injustices that we need to work on in every community. And oh boy, we've been in the pandemic. So it's been a really interesting time to, to be an architect Architects do our best work uh, at a community level. So the AIA is really focused on providing grassroots opportunities for architects to be involved in leadership and to be sharing uh, knowledge uh, about best practices in our communities. And, and hopefully, uh, if you're listening to this podcast, you know an architect and you work with them. And uh, hopefully you realize that uh, architects are uh, pivotal to, to building the future and, and building better environments. Pivotal, absolutely. I, I really enjoyed the way that you put that into context, helping architects do their best work, really facilitating the amazing, amazing um, talent that exists in the architectural community and doing it, as you say, at the community level, at the grassroots level. And, and in the end, any change that happens must take place at the grassroots level. Uh, so, so really great answer to that question and a fantastic focus that the American Institute of Architects has. You served as the 97th president of that organization. That blew me away as I was doing a little bit of research for this episode, how long the organization has been around. I've got to believe that the role of architecture in some ways is the same as maybe it was 97 years or a century ago, but that it's also changed. How has the role of architecture changed since the organization was founded? I, I in a myriad of ways that, you know, we, this tech ed podcast, if, if I think about what I was doing in uh, 1982, when I, I started at architecture school, it was a completely analog world. There, there actually was one computer in my university and uh, it was used for calculating energy use values, R and, and U values, uh, through, and it was spectacularly slow. It was much quicker to do it by hand. But, uh, you know, fast forward uh, to today, everything we do, obviously, is digital. For sure, I still draw by hand. And, uh, you know, my, my mind is connected to, to my pen and my rolls of yellow trace. But uh, it's also connected to incredible software, building information modeling that, uh, frankly, brings extraordinary value to the efficiency and the detail that, that comes uh, with the documentation I create in designing a building and visualizing a building and, and helping uh, you know my 
collaborators and clients get value from that work. So, you know, in, in uh, you know the since the 1860s when the AIA was formed, obviously uh, amazing changes uh, have happened. But uh, even in a generation, it's spectacular. From spending time in architecture school with one computer, and I was, you know, I think I started uh, at least my post-secondary career about uh, five years after that. And even at that point, uh, computers were just emerging and, and thinking about where we were back in the 1980s in every sector of the economy as, a, as opposed to, to where we are now. The digitization of just about everything is transforming every market space, which I think is exciting. We talk at length about people who are disrupting technical education. So we're all about disruption and just making sure that we have our, our finger on the pulse of the changes that are taking place in as many spaces as we can. And certainly architecture is one of those. Now, I mentioned earlier this this construction project that I worked on, but just watching the way that that world transformed, we would be in meetings and, you know, literally we'd, we'd come up with some some ideas, some solutions, move a door here, um, you know, build a portico share here, change the design to this window. It was unbelievable how quickly using software the architects could totally redesign and recreate renderings and and so on that could help us understand and visualize the future of this project. So it was really rewarding for me to be part of that building addition and renovation on the topic of building additions and renovations. You're undergoing a huge one uh, there at the American Institute of Architects, as I understand. Uh, you're helping to lead the organization at a time when the national headquarters in Washington, D.C. is undergoing a full renovation. And some of the goals of that renovation I thought were interesting, Peter. The three goals that I read about were sustainability, equity and collaboration and creating a model, therefore, in um, in this new renovation. You know, sustainability and collaboration, I can kind of wrap my brain around those goals. When it comes to equity, how does architecture and design promote equity in the workplace? Well, you know, all, all those things that you just mentioned, the, if we look at it holistically, um, you know, the, the idea of equity is, is central to everything. And it, in, in my own practice, which I think we'll talk about a little bit later, I feel like I've been chipping away at issues of equity in everything that we do. Primarily, I think it's about giving everybody access to resources in their community, uh, not just building in the most privileged and prosperous communities, but building everywhere, ensuring that everybody has access uh, to the best healthcare, the best education, you know, the, the best housing. We, we know uh, in America there is a, an extraordinary housing crisis. There's not enough housing for everybody to live in, and there's certainly not enough affordable housing. So obviously the built environment is critical to, to creating that equity and creating the places and spaces where we, we live, we work, and we play, and we all live our best lives. So a building like the AIA headquarters is very symbolic in that respect. The, the building that you were talking about was built in 1973. At this moment, it still has its original single glazing. It still has its original fossil fuel uh, heating system. And uh, it, all of its systems are struggling. They're, they're over 50 years old. And as architects, talking about catalyzing equity and emphasizing climate action, we can't live in that place and uh, be preaching uh, atop the mount there. Uh, we, we sound a little hypocritical if, if the house that we live in is not the best in this age. So we've made a commitment to renovate our home, not to build a new home, 
but to renovate this existing 50-year-old structure to be net zero, to be the model workplace, and to be a place at the heart of its community. That community happens to be about a block and a half from the White House in Washington, D.C., but part of this redesign is creating public space and access to anybody who's interested in architecture or anybody who happens to be in that community who wants to use our garden, who wants to use our cafe or our bookstore. It's an introduction to, I guess, a threshold to figuring out what architects do. Okay. Part of that equity thing and part of that sustainable thing too is ensuring that we're net zero, that we're doing as much as possible you know, obviously on an existing building, adding photovoltaics, solar panels is, is a good idea. We've discovered that we can't add enough solar panels to our building for all kinds of reasons. So one of the investments that we've made is to do offsets. And we, we're working with uh, uh, Architecture for Humanity to uh, provide photovoltaics for, I think, 90 homes, 90 affordable homes that they're building. And that's an opportunity for those new homeowners to get the best and latest systems. So I, to, to, to negate their future utility bills, perhaps even eradicate them entirely if we do, a, if they create a good enough system. So that's providing opportunities for affordability. That's building in equity in our community. It's a long-winded answer there, but it's, it's a complex one. And it's a thoughtful one. And it is a complex issue without question. And, and, and I admire the leadership. So great leadership there practicing what you preach. You know, you talk about it would be hypocritical not to do this. I think I would say it would also be, it's really a form of leadership in, in, in showing people what is possible. Credit to you there, Peter, as well as we, as we talk about things like climate change, as we talk about things like equity, uh, really, really important work. Whoever's listening to this podcast, please uh... You don't need to knock on the front door. That door is open to everybody. Awesome. So, so an open invitation from Peter Exley to the, the uh, Tech Ed podcast community to, to visit the beautiful headquarters in Washington, D.C. as that project comes along. I want to turn our topic now to some of the work a little bit closer to home, at least my home, which is uh, Wisconsin, your home, which is uh, Illinois and the Chicago area. Let's talk about Architecture is Fun a little bit. You're the co-founder of that organization. That, first of all, is like the most intriguing name for an architectural and design firm. If this architect thing doesn't work out for you, maybe a career in marketing, uh, because that's just a perfect name for an organization. Um, tell us about the organization, Peter, and a little bit about what you do. Well, architecture is fun. We're, a, I suppose, a conventional archi architecture firm with an unconventional name. Architecture is fun is a reflection of our values, and uh, it's a reflection of our purpose. Uh, when we founded our firm uh, in 1994, it's a women-owned business. Sharon Exley, who happens to be my, my partner in every respect, we're a 24-7 organization. She and I uh, made a commitment to work with uh, mostly community-based, civic, non-for-profit organizations in the informal education space. That's a, a fancy way of saying we were working with a lot of children's museums, a lot of churches, a lot of libraries, uh, community-based organizations who were supporting children and families and uh, particularly supporting kids and, and families who might be falling through the cracks um, at, at school and uh, creating the places where they found their purpose and in that we found our purpose. So our very first project was with Chicago Children's Museum on Navy Pier in Chicago 
We designed two of their exhibits and uh, they've been a longtime client of ours. You know, in, in the mid nineties, there were about 25 children's museums around the United States. I think today there are literally hundreds. So, uh, you know, Chicago Children's Museum just helped us ripple through many similar communities uh, around the country, in particular in, in smaller towns, um, cities where, uh, you know, there'd once been a thriving main street and uh, perhaps that had fallen on hard times. And the Children's Museum was often the catalyst for bringing people back downtown. They find a building, um, an affordable building with cheap rent, and uh, we, we would go in and renovate that. And uh, I'm, I'm really proud of the work we've done in places like Bangor, Maine, Saginaw, Michigan, Louisville, Kentucky. Um, uh, you know, the, there's a mul multitude of, of places around the country where we've, we've helped their main streets become better main streets. We've helped their city leaders and their business leaders to recruit the best people because there's a great amenity in their downtown. And, and that's essentially what, what our practice has done. We've worked with some amazing organizations like the Getty Museum in Los Angeles, with the Field Museum in Chicago, many others helping them do things at scale and hopefully making a difference and bringing value and being advocates for equity and their mission. What a really cool focus for your organization. I know how passionate you are about it. You know, I think about our, our kids growing up and now they're a little bit older, but spending time at places in Milwaukee, like the Betty Brin Children's Museum and, and Discovery World and, and how that sparked interest in their finding a sense of purpose, as you put it, and thinking about what they might be interested in uh, eventually. And, and maybe by coincidence, both of, them, both of them ended up pursuing STEM education, which is which is kind of interesting, but but just that focus that you have on underserved communities, people that may have fallen through the cracks, as you put it, really, really important and, and fascinating work. But I want to talk now, Peter, a little bit more about this passion that you have. You know, What is it that you love most about this work? I know there are things that keep you up at night. I know there are things that get you up in the morning, excited to, to go to work and, and pursue your mission. What are those things? What do you love about what you do? Yeah, as a child, and I think probably many of us relate to this. Um, I love to draw. I love to build things. I grew up on a farm in the north of England. So I had a very rural upbringing, a lot of freedoms. And um, I, creativity was just everywhere in our household. My father happens to be uh, an architect. And uh, my mother uh, just really encouraged uh, us to, to look at creativity as uh, part of our everyday lives. So uh, I, I happened to be a really great student in school. I was good at math. I was interested in history. I loved art. I had a bizarre uh, curriculum in high school. I was all over the place. You know, some people were doing maths, physics, chemistry, and I, I, was, I was doing what I loved to do. And it just so happened that I was nurturing left and right brain qualities there. And if you look at most creative people, most people that are builders, we, we all have, um, you know, those tendencies. And uh, I never thought about anything other than being an architect. Maybe briefly, I'd love to have been a, a lead singer in a rock band <laughs> or a professional soccer player. But uh, clearly, my, my talents for those were not as, uh, as hon well honed as they were for being an architect. So, well, you can sing some Rolling Stones or Who for us if you want now. I don't know. Is that, uh, yeah, I, 
I, I think you want to maintain your listening uh, listening audience till, till the end of the podcast. <laughs> awesome. Well, we, I mean, that's just, that's a great background. So from growing up on a farm in Northern England, that must've been just an idyllic way to grow up with a father as an architect doing what you love, but really a great message, I think, for any, any of our students in particular who are thinking about career pathways. And a lot of what we do here at the Tech Ed Podcast is, is work to inspire people as they're considering where they might want to spend their career or at least start their career. And so it really is that love of architecture and that love of creativity. I think that that is something that people that have that, um, that spark in them, uh, it's, a, it's a career pathway that would be great to, great to consider. Can I share a thought here, Matt? You know, it's, I, maybe it's not a little known fact, but almost 90% of the population create 100% of the drawings that they're going to make in their lives before the age of 10. So that means at when when you pass that threshold at, at 10, somebody says to you, oh, you're not very good at art or you're not very good at music or you can't sing or, wow. We need to make an adjustment in how we nurture and encourage our, our kids. It, that's remarkable that people stop drawing because everybody drew. Everybody's refrigerator at home is covered in their kids' drawings. We need to say to, to our children, wow, that's a really interesting way of doing that. Right. No, absolutely. And encourage them to keep that going. Well, and anecdotally, Peter, you know, as you mentioned that, and I agree 100%, and I think about some of the most effective people that I've worked with in, in my career, whether it's somebody designing a new technical education space in my 23 years in manufacturing, a manufacturing engineer sketching out a... Um, you know, sketching out a drawing of a potential manufacturing process. I actually think about being in Tokyo. Um, this was now four, three and a half, four years ago, um, sitting at the Hotel Nuotani uh, with the CEO of a, of a community college here in, in the Midwest with a pencil and a lined piece of paper and sketching out a learning system for teaching students what we call Industry 4.0 or kind of this high-end smart digital manufacturing and then manifesting that system as a physical learning system that now exists in Sturdivant, Wisconsin. You're exactly right. I mean, there's so much creativity that flows from drawing and so much ideation that flows from putting a pen or a pencil to paper. And if you're right, and I have no reason to believe that you're not, that what was it, 90% of us stopped drawing by the time we're 10 years old? What a, what a huge opportunity we're missing to let that creativity live and to, to design and envision the, a world that could be. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you can apply that not just to to creative pursuits, but you know, uh, you, you should be encouraging everybody to have balance in their lives and to be looking at technical pursuits, creative pursuits, physical pursuits. It applies across the board. Let's not tell our kids you're not very good at that. Let's encourage them to to do what's comfortable for them and and to, to pursue their passions. Absolutely, kids and adults alike, for that matter. And you know, for me, it's interesting. You know, you mentioned about being in kind of a twenty-four-seven endeavor, and we talk about sometimes work-life balance. For me, it's always about work-life integration. Uh, if you want to go running at one o'clock in the afternoon, find a job that lets you do that. If you want to have the opportunity to be creative, to take a little bit of time off to work um, when you're best adding value for the organization, figure out how to do that. That's the, the culture that we've tried to build into every one of one of our companies and making sure that people are finding the balance that works for them. And it's different for everybody, but making sure that you're, you're pursuing those, those creative interests. Uh, boy, I could go off for another 10 minutes, I think on that topic, but we'll move on to the, the next question. I want to talk about your design projects. Your design projects include things like the DuPage Children's Museum, 
the House in the Woods, the Ronald McDonald House in Oakland, Illinois, Exploration Station Children's Museum, the Young at Art Museum exhibits and galleries, and, and others that you've mentioned already in this podcast. So of all of these amazing projects that you've had the opportunity to work on, Peter, do you have a favorite? Is there is there one that you would look to to say, this is my favorite project? No, not really. <laughs> um, I, I love them all. Uh, you know, at the heart of everyone is is a story and a story that that makes a difference. And uh, they're they're like children, right? You, you don't have a favorite one. Right now, we're working actually up in Fond du Lac, Wisconsin. Uh, they've been a client for almost a decade. We helped them move their children's museum uh, when they found themselves homeless uh, about a decade ago. We love working with them and helping them. You know, you talk about, uh, you know, the Industry 4.0. We're, we're about to do Children's Museum of Fond du Lac. 3.0, getting them from being you know, a, a small organization dedicated to you know, education in, in that area, to now being an organization that is sustainable and looking at what it means to be a kid in Fond du Lac, in that community, and to look out at the world in 2030. That's a community that has global impact through their manufacturing industry. And, uh, you know, thinking about what that means from a kid's perspective. Um, so I, it's really, really fascinating to help them plan for their future and help the adults and the philanthropists and the manufacturing, the, all of the businesses in that community come together to brainstorm, hey, what does it mean to be a kid in our community? And um, how do we nurture and, and support that? So I... For sure, I'm an architect. I draw buildings. I plan things. I decide the way things look. But what is really, really exciting is working and collaborating with communities to, to make things like that happen. And, and that that Children's Museum has the vision and is making a commitment not just to build a building today that satisfies codes and regulations and is the thing that they can afford, but for them to be looking at that long-term investment. Just an example of the importance of communities supporting, whether it's a children's museum, supporting education. I know those are things that you are as passionate about as I am, Peter. Another question. I mean, we, we sit here and we think about, I mean, you're, you're an amazingly well-renowned architect. You've got a, a great reputation, uh, an amazing and an incredible personality. I know you're in high demand. I know you take on certain projects, and I know that you probably have to pass on other ones. How do you determine as you think about projects, which ones to take on and which ones to, to maybe not take on? Interesting question. And like all businesses, you know, things ebb and flow. Um, things just sort of turn up unexpectedly. I'll immodestly say I think we're a visionary organization and we help people envision their futures. So the organizations that come to us, I've mentioned a lot of youth and education related ones, but uh you know, businesses will come to us and they'll ask for something visionary. They're not looking for a short-term solution. They're, they're progressive organizations that are making long-term investments. And with many things, you know, education is at the heart of that. Creating a place that reflects their own values and allows them to lead with their values and tell the stories about what they do uh, through that physical environment. And uh, th those are the people that come to us. I, 
I can't really explain it other than, you know, we talk at conferences, I have conversations with people like you, and it just ripples through. And uh, we like to tell stories about all of our projects, about the impact they have on that community. I'll give you one example. We designed uh, a science department for a, a high school here in Chicago. It was about a $10 million investment for that organization. That bought them five classrooms. So let's just say that's $2 million a classroom. We had a public space in that, uh, in that configuration that we turned into a sixth classroom, not a permanent sixth classroom, but a space in which students and faculty could come out and work on things that they couldn't do in the classroom. So $2 million per classroom, we gave you a free one. That, that's quite a good story. The better story is um, the September that science department opened, 27% more girls signed up for AP science. A year, a year later, test scores went up 39%. That's an even better value than that free classroom. That 39% increase in test score is the difference between getting into college and getting into your first choice. Sure. The difference between getting into your first choice college and getting in on a free ride. And that builds a relationship between that student and that school that will last a lifetime. That helps recruit the best faculty, the best students. And this is just a sort of cyclical and constructive thing. That science department builds up that whole school, builds up that entire community and uh, supports the ambitions that we all have for the future. And those are the types of stories that we like to tell with, with every client, whether they're a business, a school, a children's museum. And we're very focused on designing that future with our clients. And those are the stories we love to hear on the Tech Ed Podcast. It strikes me, Peter, how often as you as you talk about this, and, and I know that the design and I know that the you know, the actual science of architecture and so on is a, is a key part and an important part of what you do. But, but, but really, every time we ask you a question, it's about the client, it's about the experience, it's about the goal, it's about uh, changing people's lives. And that really, you can just tell in the way that you answer these questions is at the, at the core of what you do. So it's been a pleasure so far to, to have this discussion. You know, we spend a lot of time on this sidecast talking with people in the world of advanced manufacturing and the world of technology. It isn't a secret, at least to our audience, that that there's just a huge absence of, of skilled talent and in, in for a whole bunch of reasons that uh, in areas in advanced manufacturing and in the skilled trades and, and so on. I've got to believe you're seeing the same thing in the world of architecture. Is that, is that world facing the same challenges as other STEM related careers? And if so, what, what's being done to make these career choices more, more attractive to young people? Uh, there's definitely a shortage of architects coming up, um, you know, the, the baby boom generation, that uh, there's not as many uh, kids now coming into uh, higher education. Architecture doesn't necessarily have the reputation as being the most prosperous industry to, to come in. Uh, I, I don't agree with that personally. What we need to do in, in all of these industries is to ensure that we are attracting the brightest and the best kids from every community providing them with affordable pathways into education and making sure that there are people that look like the people that live in every community 
leading that charge. So uh, it requires a big, big investment. As president of AIA, I uh, spoke with uh, Representative Clyburn, who is working very hard with administration in DC to uh, alleviate student debt issues. Uh, I, I think that is that that the path to a, an affordable education is really really critical. I think too adjusting curriculum to be uh, utterly twenty first century relevant with the technologies uh, and mindsets and ambitions that industries demand is really critical in architecture. It seems fundamental to me that every single student of architecture, every single graduate graduates with the knowledge of how to put together a net zero building. That would seem a very, very marketable skill, but I do not see the curriculum necessarily reflecting that universally just yet. I uh, was quoted in Time magazine last year uh, on this topic. And, uh, there is a groundswell at places like Tulane University to develop carbon curricula. And uh, th this, is, this is really, really important. And uh, it, it's critical that industry is partnering with the academy and with uh, our legislators to, to facilitate this. You know, the, the economics of it, the relevance of it are, are really, really important. So it sounds like the same challenges that are faced really in so many different spaces within our economy and in, in many ways, the global economy are similarly faced in the world of architecture in terms of inspiring young people toward these careers, giving them affordable access to education and so on. So let's talk now about just the, the people as they're choosing, they're choosing careers in architecture. You know, you talked about right brain, left brain, of course, we've got, you know, the analytical side of things and the creative side of things. And I think you could know almost nothing about architecture and still recognize that those two aspects are both important. What are some of those personality types? What are, what, if, if I'm a student, if I'm a young person considering a career, what types of people end up succeeding and having enjoyable and fulfilling careers in the world of architecture? I would say every kind of person. I, you know, There's such a range of talents that are required in, in a complex industry that architecture construction industry is. If you are detail oriented, you know, I, I know so many happy project managers in architecture. I, I know so many happy designers and people who want to be at the, the forefront of things talking about design. Architects, I think, are uh, particularly empathetic. Um, perhaps that comes across in this conversation that we're having. Uh, if you are interested in making a difference in the world, there is not a profession or a job out there that wouldn't benefit from the training that an architect has. Our ability to design, envision, and realize the future. Uh, and you could apply that specifically to buildings and communities. But uh, based on the students I've had, you could, you could apply that to game design. You can apply it to politics. You could apply it to so many, so many vocations. The ability to be a problem solver, an inventor, and uh, a visionary, I, I think, uh, probably describes the training of an architect. And for empathetic people who want to make a difference, I would say architecture is a good pathway. 
a great pathway open to, it sounds like a variety of people, you know, some folks might think of it as just a, you know, j- just an analytical or a, or a kind of a science and math based career pathway. Others might think of it as a, as a creative and a design and a visionary type pathway. And it sounds like wherever you are on that spectrum on one end or the other, or any place in the middle, there's a place for you in the field of architecture. And that is certainly coming through in the discussion that we're having today, Peter. And then going back to just the fact that in the end, it's really about changing lives and, and influencing the world for the better. And for somebody who wants to make a difference, who wants to look back on an amazing career, like the one that you've had and forward to the many amazing things that you'll do in the future. It, it sounds like a, a, just a fantastic career choice for our young people to be considering. Peter, we've had just such a great conversation today. You're so insightful. You're such a deep thinker. You're, you, you have such a, a wonderful and refreshing way of looking at the world. One of the questions we love to ask our guests here on the Tech Ed Podcast, and in as much as we have a number of young people that listen to the podcast, if you could give one piece of advice to a high school sophomore as they consider their future career pathway, what would that advice be? Do what you love and have fun. Perfect. Uh, work, work hard towards those goals. Uh, I only do the things that I love to do. I also happen to have to surround myself with the people that do the other things as well. And and finding that balance in the organization is really critical to a success. Really, really important. So do what you love and have fun. And what I've found, and it almost sounds obvious, is that working hard is way easier to do when you're doing things that you love and doing things that you have fun with. We certainly love and have plenty of fun with our guests here on the Tech Ed Podcast, and and you're no exception to that, Peter. Thank you so much for spending some time with us here on the podcast. We've learned a tremendous amount, and we really appreciate you taking some time. Great. Matt, thank you so much. Thanks for what you're doing, and thanks for the opportunity to talk today. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Tech Ed Podcast. If you haven't already, subscribe, leave a review, and if you like this episode, share it with a friend. New episodes launch every Tuesday, so listen in next week.